As you hear sounds coming up in your head, thoughts, you simply listen to them as part of the general noise going on, just as you would be listening to the sound of my voice, or just as you would be listening to cars going by, or to birds chattering outside the window. So look at your own thoughts as just noises. DeAndre Johnson, welcome to Sauce Talk. Perfect. Thank you for having me. I, I'm, man, I'm ecstatic. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, why don't you start by just telling me a little bit about your childhood, where you grew up, what sports did you play, and yeah, anything you want to say about your childhood? Perfect. Yeah. So, um, I originally was born and raised in Watts, California. Um, that's more so like on the east side of Los Angeles, um, for, you know, people that's more familiar with the area. Um, I had a, you know, pretty good upbringing. Uh, uh, I wouldn't say, you know, I missed any meals or anything like that, but I definitely grew up and, and seen a lot, you know, and so I had to be more mature at an early age. Um, so, so you know, that definitely played a part in, uh, my whole process, but, um, as far as sports and everything, I only really played basketball. Uh, I, I touched football just a bit, like for flag, but after they started talking about tackle and all of that, I, I wasn't really about it. So, um, so I just stuck with basketball and thank God I actually panned out to be pretty tall, you know, so that, um, all, you know, worked out for the good for me. Um, and I mean, you know, just beside that, um, yeah, I mean, Everything else was, was pretty good. Uh, you know, just a regular coming up in LA, just the regular situation, you know, so yeah. Yeah. So what, what was your, where was your mind at and what were your expectations when you signed the letter of intent to Regis? I was curious, curious what your, what your mind was like showing up to campus, how you thought your career would go. Uh-huh. Just try to, if you can recall what you were feeling at that time, what was it? Yeah, so um, so I actually kind of want to walk through uh, my process even right before that. Sure. So sure. um, so I'm I'm a really you know religious guy. You know that uh, I'm a big Christian. Um, so with that being said, uh, my my faith played a big part in me even getting that scholarship. So really, um, I went to Price High School in Los Angeles. Um, really was a, a basketball powerhouse. Uh, during all of my time. And I, I pretty much was like the last of the Mohegans with Coach Lynch um, at Price. But uh, I said all of that to say uh, it was just a very prestigious program. And so even getting to go to that school was like a big deal, you know. So um, I did that. But during that time, I didn't have the best relationship with my coach. This was kind of like the first time, you know, uh, for me to really experience having to deal with, uh, quote unquote, I guess you would say the politics of the sport. So, um, during that time too, my, none of my family, um, did any of the things that I've done or am doing. So I always was like a trailblazer. So with that, you know, you have certain experiences you have to go through. You just got to do trial and error sometimes. So, uh, I brought that up, all of that stuff up to say, I didn't have any offers or any scholarships going into my uh, senior year and then even after the senior season. 
So, um, I, you know, me and my mom, we, we pretty much, uh, just did a lot of fasting and praying. Um, and the weekend, it was like the last weekend, I think of, uh, of March, I believe. And pretty much we, you know, I went out to Vegas to go and play and, um, that's, I ultimately got that scholarship. But I said that to say, like, um, just the whole path was just really difficult in that time. But I'm sure I'll talk more, you know, and relate more on it later down in the, in the podcast. But, um, during my time, as far as, uh, once I signed, how I felt. DeAndre, I don't want to interrupt you, but a quick question. So when you went to Vegas, was that like a mm-hmm. showcase or something to try to get one last so shot that, to get some, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty much that was, um, it was like the unsigned seniors team, you know, uh, that's what mm-hmm. they used to call like the different guys that would still be playing after, uh, their senior season was over. So yeah, I, um, I went out and played on my travel team. Um, I played with aim high, which is uh sponsored or Kenny Smith's team. Um, former NBA player and all that stuff. He'd be on TNT now for people that don't know. But um, yeah. that was a, a pretty big deal for me because that put me in like a different limelight, you know? So I was very appreciative of that opportunity. But yeah, that was travel ball. Okay. Yeah. And what uh-huh. you said you were f- praying and also fasting. What, what did the fasting look like? Yeah. So um, <laughs> at that time, I was still learning more about fasting. So I was about... Um, I think I was, I was 17 at that time. So I was still relatively young, uh, in regards to all of that kind of stuff. But my mom's actually a minister. So, um, I, you know, I've, I've always had the ministry and everything throughout my life and entirely, you know, at home, in church, everything is just God, 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 which is a, you know, I, I don't regret, um, the experience, but, I said that to say uh, my mom pretty much taught me about fasting and stuff. And and it's just a symbol of sacrifice, you know, so Mm. pretty much uh, what we would do, you know, um, at that time, since I was younger, I didn't do uh, the fast where it's nothing by mouth. So I'm saying like no water, no food and none of that. Um, I think I only did at that time just no food for a certain amount of time, you know, maybe like six to 12 hours or something. Um, and that was pretty much a big deal for me at that time, you know, cause, um, I was young, like I mentioned before. So I was really young at that time. So it was just like, you know, most 17 year olds aren't looking to, you know, uh, <laughs> take some time off of, of eating a snack or something that they really want at, at a particular time, but to give up the sacrifice, um, it ultimately played, paid off in the end for me, you know, so I'm definitely appreciative of that. I still fast now, you know, but now since I'm a little older, um, I do like, like nothing by mouth fast. So no water, no food and all that stuff, for, you know, certain periods of time. So. We're going to get back to your story, but I'm, I'm curious cause I've, I've gotten, I've become interested in fasting recently too. I remember mm-hmm. Ennis, I remember Ennis Cantor, who, who is awesome. I'm a big fan of him. He, when Portland was in the playoffs mm-hmm. <laughs> is he's, uh, he's a Muslim and he hit part of his practices okay. a certain time every year you fast and you fast from, you know, uh, I think it's sun up to sundown. You can't eat or drink yeah. anything. And they were in the middle it's of the like, Ramadan. Yeah. 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 So they're in the middle yeah. of the Western conference finals and Ennis couldn't eat 
And I remember like it would be like the third quarter of a big game and the sun would go down and you the camera would flash and he'd be like cramming some PBJs and drinking a bunch of water like in the middle of the game. I was like, that's intense. But actually, it really, I really admired him for sticking to his principles, even in that circumstance, Definitely. right? Um, Definitely. So what is your current fasting regimen? Like, do you do it just when you feel like it or is there a time of the year? Well, how does that look for you? Yeah, so really, um, I'll just do it at different times. Like, my mom may say something to me as far as, like, you know, oh, I'm, me and her, I'm, I'm saying, uh, her and probably some of her other ministry friends or something, uh, they may be doing a fast for, say, like 10 days or something. Mm-hmm. And so then she'll just bring it up to me. I might just, you know, do one with her at a different time. Or really, if I if I'm really, like, seeking God for something important, Something that'll be kind of like life changing or something. Um, so yeah, then that'll be another time I'll do it. Or, you know, just if for some reason I just feel out of the blue, you know, I want to fast and, and kind of just sacrifice. Interesting. Just for the the sake of being blessed, you know? (laughs) So yeah, it's just different times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. So let's get back to, so you got the scholarship. How did um, you? You and your mom pretty pumped when you got that scholarship. Did you have multiple offers in that spring, or was that was was Regis really your one look? So I had um, one other scholarship from Cal State Dominguez Hills back back home, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't want to stay home, you know. Mm-hmm. So I was just really trying to seek God as far as you know, um, trying to get a, a different situation. And so ultimately, once I received that scholarship to Regis. Um, yeah, my mom, we, we went crazy, you know, we were so happy, but I mean, not, not happy in the sense of like, wow, you know, that really happened. Just happy in the sense of like, God actually, like I mentioned before, we, we give him all of the, you know, the honor and stuff as far as in praise, you know? So, um, we really just felt and expected that God was going to do that for us, you know, just because, you know, our, our sacrifice that we put forth. And, and the belief and the faith, you know. So uh, mm-hmm. once I received the scholarship, yeah, we were happy, but we expected it, which is it sound kind of crazy, but we <laughs> we expected it to happen. So so yeah, somewhere to some school, you know. So it ended up being Regis, and um, I got to you know talk with Brady, Coach Brady, and everything over there. And um, so once I got you know my first time, once I went to the campus, uh, I flew out for a visit right after I got the scholarship and then uh shortly I signed after and um everything was fine you know I I went out I was just happy just to you know be able to say now that I've committed somewhere so you know yeah. um yeah I I went out and I talked with Brady and it was amazing cuz at that time I was even talking and thinking like NBA and professional basketball and all of this you know and I I just, just like, don't have, didn't have any experience, you know, as far as in like how, really how hard this thing is, you know? So, um, but I mean, yeah, I I was, I was very happy and ultimately I had a great time at Regis. Yeah. So looking back now on your Regis career, we can spoil it, you know, move through (laughs) it kind of quickly. Like, so you had a good career, you won a championship. Uh-huh. But you were always battling injuries. Uh, uh-huh. You know, Dexter Sienko was one of the best players in the whole conference who played uh-huh. your position. So you you were buried behind him early on in your career. And then yeah. later on, you, you were battling injuries. So 
What uh-huh. was that like? I mean, were you, you know, you always seemed on the outside kind of happy, bubbly, you know, uh-huh. DeAndre's going to show up and work hard every day. Like, but I can imagine that it must have been really tough to be in that situation year after year. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, so in that situation, <laughs> so I had, you know, every year was a new year and a different opportunity. Um, you know, I, I, like I mentioned before, I pray and stuff a lot. So that is kind of what helped as far as keeping my sanity, you know, but I'm human, you know, and I, I learned, like I said, since I was the first to do all of this stuff, I learned a lot of things from just experiencing. So for example, you know, I, I got into a really bad, um, altercation with, uh, our head coach with Brady. Um, you know, just cause I felt like I should have been playing in a particular game and all of this other stuff. Looking back on it now, um, the way that I reacted during the game, um, was very immature, you know, uh, and I, and I understand that now, but at that time, yeah, I thought that I was just right and nobody could tell me anything. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I battled with that a lot, but, the main thing was just trying to stay positive. So I just kept in my head, you know, I always tell myself things too, you know, self-talk and imagination is very important, um, in, in success and moving forward and anything, you know, so that, that's like one of the biggest things I do on the daily, even now still, you know, I, I always, um, you know, tell myself certain things to motivate myself to keep going, you know, pretty much. So, that was pretty much what I did. And then I also, you know, I love the guys too, you know, like how you mentioned Dexter, like Dexter was like you said, you know, probably like the best player, best big for sure in the conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not the best is top two, you know, so, yeah. um, I definitely learned a lot from being behind him, even in my, uh, experience that I had in my, my second school after Regis. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I definitely appreciate the experience because it taught me how to deal with adversity like in all of them different times you know uh not being able to play just because you know i have somebody better than me in front of me or not being able to play or right when the time comes where your number is going to be called you suffer a crazy injury and you out for the whole season you know so yeah definitely it was a lot of you know adversity i had to deal with but i feel like it 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 helped as far as building my mental toughness so I didn't never look at it as like a, you know, a failure or, or uh, my loss or like a loss. You know, I always looked at it as kind of like an experience to learn, you know, so I learned something every time, you know, so, yeah. How were you as a student in high school? I always had good grades. So I, in high school, I had like a, I think I finished with like a 4.0. Like before, before I had um, received my scholarship to Regis, Late, this was probably, I would say like later in my senior year. I, I kind of got off of the wave of basketball. Like I didn't truly give it up, but I was just on the tip of like, you know, I need to have a plan B if I don't, if I'm not able to get a scholarship for basketball, you know, cause I still need to go to school. And so I was in like, I used to go to all kinds of conferences and all kinds of stuff. Like I was really trying to get into Cornell. So like I was really you know, doing everything I could, uh, to make that happen. Then I ended up receiving, um, this scholarship that I, I kept, I still have now, um, called the Cedar Foundation. Um, just kind of like they pretty much help inner city kids, 
you know, uh, figure it out as far as helping with tuition and mm. books and all of that kind of stuff. So, uh, very appreciative of them as well. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I pretty much, man, I, I had, I had really good grades. I, school never really was a problem for me. So, yeah, yeah, I had pretty yeah. Good grades. If you remember, I was, I don't know if you were in my group, but I was an academic advisor. Which was one of the oh most, yeah that's right one of, the most, one of the most stressful jobs in my life <laughs> but not 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 due to you you're you're always on top of it so perfect, so, perfect. so at Regis you what did you end up majoring in yeah so at Regis um I thought originally that I was majoring in finance but mm-hmm. you know I didn't go and check enough with the you know advisors and everything and. Because of that, I ultimately graduated with my um, degree in business admin. And so... Um, it's amazing yeah. how that happens to so many people. Like if you don't... It's one lesson if any young person's listening to this. Like it's really on you to... There's so many people I know who somehow like right at the end of their senior year, they figure out that they didn't get enough credits and this this elective or this exactly. minor or this certificate or whatever it is. And you know, the advisors deal with so many people that it's so easy to slip through the cracks. I didn't know, I didn't know that you ended up not getting your finance degree. So you graduated business Uh admin and that Uh was after even like your fifth year at Regis. You did five years at Regis, right? Or four? No, so I I did four. The fourth year was when I got hurt. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so I, I actually was able to start my MBA at Regis though. Um, so that helped, but yeah, I, Man, that that was the biggest like advice I I was able to give my brother that's coming up now in high school and like all my cousins, anybody else I would talk to that was, you know, still in school was just the fact of like you got to be on top of that stuff. Otherwise, you know, yeah, like you just said, you know, you slip through the cracks. I want to take a quick break from the conversation to thank you for listening to the podcast and for engaging with my work. It's been great to get so many texts and emails from people who are excited to have the podcast back. And I'm always happy to hear from people. So whether you wanna just say hi, or if you have suggestions or criticism or feedback, you can reach out to me at contact at billyhanson.net. And I'd love to hear from you. Other ways to support me and the show is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or just to simply share this podcast with someone who you think might like it. I'm really just letting the podcast grow organically through word of mouth. So if you're enjoying what I'm doing, please just consider sharing this and also leave a review because that helps other people find it. My new book is coming out this spring, March 26th, 2022. The book is titled Harder Than I Thought, Easier Than I Feared, with a subtitle Sports, Anxiety, and the Power of Meditation. And so if you want to learn more about my story as an athlete and how the practice of meditation helped me recover mentally as a college athlete and ultimately transition more smoothly into life after sports, you should consider pre-ordering a copy. You can get it in print or ebook or audiobook format. And so if you're interested or you know someone who might be interested, you can visit billyhanson.net forward slash book to get more information about the book and to pre-order a copy. Lastly, if you're not subscribed yet to my newsletter, you should go to billyhanson.net forward slash newsletter. That's where I post updates on the book and the Meditation for Athletes program and new podcast episodes. So you should subscribe there if you haven't yet already. 
Thank you again for listening to the podcast. And now back to the conversation with DeAndre Johnson. So graduate business admin. Now at this point, you and I start having conversations. Um, Mm -hmm. I've, you know, graduated from the same school of left coaching and I'm out in the real world, which can be kind of shocking to go from, I don't know if you had this experience, but moving from the kind of pipeline where (laughs) all of your carrots are kind of set out in front of you and you just have to go pursue goals. And now there's so many options and, you know, in the, the way America is right now, it's actually really hard for young people to, you know, get some footing on the economic ladder. And then mm-hmm. what makes things more complicated is your situation growing up in a less privileged upbringing than I had. So you, mm-hmm. you I remember you just being very, very, very eager to start making money, to start mm-hmm. helping out people back home. And you just had no, you weren't, you know, a lot of, a lot of my friends who, who have, who grew up in my town, mm-hmm. you know, we have the luxury, like some of my friends have the luxury of being poor for five years and pursuing a PhD, you know, you know, with some support from home and all of this stuff. I just remember Definitely. when I talked to you, one, one thing that was striking to me was your urgency to start making money immediately. And you were, talk, you were talking about going and being a trucker, like a truck, <laughs> was it a log truck driver or something? And I remember uh-huh. being like, DeAndre, like, you can't do uh-huh. that. <laughs> so take me, through, take me through that when you first graduated, where your mind was at. Yeah. So, um, so right, right after I graduated, um, I just knew, you know, I, I, well, I thought I knew at the time, you know, I thought, you know, everybody, they always say, you know, um, go to school, get a degree. You know, and then you'll be fine. Go to school and get a degree. Those are the like right. the main parts, though. And so you think after you get this degree that you're going to be guaranteed something. Yeah. And so I thought that, you know, right right after I got out, you know, I thought, OK, I got a degree. I kind of got a foot up on most people. Um, you know, I'll be able to get out here and get something and, you know, get going, get get start getting money, you know, so. um but that was the complete opposite. That was not, <laughs> that was not the, the, the outcome at all. And yeah. so, um, so that summer, I really had, I would say that was probably like the hardest time, um, of my life, I would say mm-hmm. is like mentally. And the reason being was just because I was, that was the one time how you mentioned, you know, like in basketball, everything is kind of just laid out in front of you. Whereas in life, you know, it's a million, gazillion different ways you can go about things but it don't guarantee success you know so um instantly you know i i I tried to do all kinds of things man i was like trying to figure out how to get into digital marketing to start doing that myself um then i I hit the desperate move move which was uh to start looking into uh trucking and so um everybody you know you included you know everybody that cared about me um y'all you know y'all instantly told me you know uh you you went to school man you should try to pursue something you know with your degree or or try to go back to school you know to figure something else out and not only that like i i imagined you like this has already come through on the podcast but you Uh have this this bright personality and this Uh charisma that whenever you walk into a room everybody loves you immediately thank and you, you get all the, you. all the attention 
And I was just picturing you stuck behind some, not that not there's anything wrong with trucking. Like we need Definitely. We, society needs good truckers. It's an honorable job. I'm not trying to trash truckers. I'm just Definitely. saying that I, when I saw, when I thought about you doing it, I was like, ah, oh, this is not okay. Not okay. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I, originally I had a plan, you know, I had a plan. I always have a plan. Like after I figure something out, but, um, once I started to go to trucking school, I got in probably like the first, uh, I would say within the first week I stopped, but I did the whole first week. So by like the second or third day, that's when it all set in. Like I just kind of looked and I was talking to the instructor and, um, and he mentioned, you know, like when they say that you're going to make this kind of money and all of this, this is all like, it's still at chance. This is not guaranteed to you. And then if you do end up making these kind of numbers, you'll never be home because you're a rookie in this field now. So because you're a rookie, they're going to give you all of the worst routes. Mm. So meaning I would never be probably on the West Coast anymore. Like I would have probably been going from Colorado to, you know, Alabama and then up to New York somewhere. Just I would have never been home. And so once I took all of that into account, you know, um, I originally had signed paperwork, but I found out later that I, you know, I was fine. But I originally had signed paperwork with Swift Transportation, which is like one of the biggest uh, freight lines like in the industry. Mm -hmm. So because they would pay for my CDL license, which is the license that you need to be able to drive. So. Um, but I thought because I had agreed to that, that I couldn't even get out of it. So I'm thinking, you know, like I'm just doomed, you know, I got to do this for a year and everything is bad. So, um, it turned out that I, you know, I was fine just because I didn't actually end up receiving the CDL license. So I didn't have to worry about paying anything or whatever. I was just able to leave. Thank God. So then after that, um, I went into uh, doing sales, digital marketing sales. Mm -hmm. So um, with that whole process, pretty much, you know, that was a great experience. I got to learn how to sell and everything. But that's when during those six months that I worked there, that's when I really started um, the I guess you could say, like the idea to go back to school really flashed into my head because I was just pretty much like, you know, Nothing against people that do sales or anything, you know, because uh, it definitely could be a very, very lucrative um, profession, you know. But at the same time, I just knew for my personal, for me for, and for my personal desires, you know, mm -hmm. I knew that I wanted something that would guarantee me more, you know, more stability. And so mm -hmm. with that, I just started to think about I need a specialized knowledge. And mm -hmm. so. That's one of the biggest things I feel like is not like preached enough within society is like the understanding that, you know, if you really want to make this money like you think you're going to be making this money when once you get out of college to be able to hit the ground running, all that kind of stuff, you need to have a, something that's going to set you out as being special, you know. And so like I could had I known better back then. I could even thought about it in terms of basketball, you know, like none of us were able to be on that team if we were not special basketball players. They weren't just going to put anybody on that team, you know, Yeah. like from our, our unique situations, we all could play, you know. So, um, yeah, I mean, pretty much that whole thing went through my head. And then the second thing that helped 
um, me, you know, move and do what I ultimately did, uh, which was switch and go back to school, um, was playing the in the little men's league with you guys, with you and um, and Jared and you know everybody else, Dimitri, all our all our guys. The leatherbacks, but, um, the, le- the leatherback sea turtles, which uh, will be back, <laughs> will be back stronger than ever this year. I'm hoping to get some uniforms for us. So um, anyway, keep going. Okay, we had some we had some technical difficulties, but we're back here. So we're just talking about your um, transition from the pipeline of basketball in school into um, pursuing different things and the kind of stress that comes with that. And I wanted to pick up on something you said, like you you had the idea that you know everybody says you get a degree and you'll be okay once you get the degree. And that everything, you know, be able to jump right into something. And that was something I definitely felt too. Like I studied math and Mm. everybody I (laughs) talked to said there's a shortage of math majors and STEM majors. And so I was thinking, you know, me and Brett Hartshorn, which I'm not sure if you've met him, but he played with me for Uh a year. And he, him and I were math majors in the same classes. And him and I were at the end of our senior year or last year we were both joking like where like where the fuck are the job offers like we've been yeah like it's just it was <laughs> it's so different. difficult like, yeah i didn't I had nothing lined up for me after graduating and all the jobs that i you know people were showing interest in me for i wasn't excited about so that's why i ended up going back to school and specializing like you said because uh-huh. in this economy it really does pay to have a very specialized skill that's valuable in the market, of course. So exactly. Yeah. So when you were thinking about playing again, you're playing on the sea turtles in the city league (laughs) and you were at this digital marketing job. Uh Was, was there any trepidation about pulling the plug and trying to go back to school? What was your thought process like when you first, you were, I remember actually talking to you during the recruiting process, the second recruiting process where you were, you know, trying to get film together, trying to contact coaches. And it's a strange position to be in because most people aren't recruited after having been at school for four years, right? And Definitely. You had, and you had two years of eligibility left, right? Uh huh. Okay. Definitely. So what, so, what was that process like? Yeah. So, um, first, I kind of want to touch on, um, my my injury that happened my last year at Regis because okay. that kind of that kind of falls in line with everything but pretty much uh I fractured my left tibia um and that was just due to um a vitamin D deficiency hmm. so a lot of people you know don't know about this but um that's you know a lot of times like how you have the injury that happened with Kevin Ware or even what happened with Paul George um, in the USA um, pickup game. Hmm. But, you know, pretty much that injury is a crazy injury because you after that, you pretty much have to be on supplements for like the rest of your life as far as like vitamin D and calcium and all those different things. So I said that to say um, that was even the reason for me not playing that fifth year that I could have played at Regis and taking it off and getting into working and just starting my life a bit. So I kind of was, you know, a, a bit nervous as far as if I was even able to still play anymore, you know, being that um, I had suffered that injury. Yeah. And so uh, after that, you know, I, I stopped and I just knew I didn't try again. And I didn't even know. I just didn't want to I didn't want to stop and be able to say, 
or take away later in life, you know, that I didn't try. You know, I didn't try to see if I could play and actually get some substantial stats, you know, under my belt um, during my time. Yeah. You know, so uh, with that, you know, I got with the, you know, with the team, with you guys, uh, the leatherback sea turtles. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and from there, that, that kind of sparked my, my interest again in basketball, you know. Uh, and so from there, I, I saw, you know, that I still could play and, and my body felt fine enough to go and play again. So what I did, I decided to, you know, get back into the whole recruiting stage and, and trying to figure out a, a coach where I could play and, you know, just get my degree pretty much, um, which is my master's that I'm still working on now. But uh, to try to, you know, get this handled and all of that stuff if I could. So in that process, um, you know, I had to get film together. I had to get a whole proposal email to send out and all of this stuff. But I really wanted to play again just to prove to myself that I still could play, you know, and that I did not just quit and I, you know, never did anything pretty much within the game, you know. So um ultimately, yeah, I, I sent emails out to probably like, I don't even know, like 200 plus coaches, you know, just sending, sending, sending emails every day I was in the summer. And this was during like right when – um this was actually like late, like March or eh, about April, uh, up in there and into May. And so, um, this was during the time when COVID had really just hit. So people were unsure if they were even going to have seasons. Coaches were getting fired. Whole, you know, conferences was just saying they wasn't going to play next year. The whole nine. So with that, that was very like trying on my mental. Cause I was just kind of like, you know, I didn't want to get discouraged, but then on top of that, I hadn't played in a year. So people yeah. didn't even know, you know, they didn't really know if they could trust my abilities anymore. So I had a, a ton of, um, of interest. There it go. Ton of interest, like from a bunch of different schools back home in, uh, in California, you know, uh, schools just pretty much all over. Cause I sent the emails like all over. And so. That was cool, but it, none of them was an offer, you know. So um, ultimately, I, you know, connected with um, my one of my good friends, Michael Benz. Um, you know, Benz, uh, mm -hmm. Billy. But yeah. I connected with him and he helped me, you know, by putting me with his trainer. And his trainer helped me get into contact with some some coaches and everything. And ultimately, I was blessed enough to receive a scholarship to uh, the University of St. Francis in Joliet, Illinois. So yeah, nice. that's pretty much how that came about. Nice. Yeah. So you got this new opportunity to play and I was so happy for you that you decided to go back and play. And I totally understand where you were coming from and that, you know, you've got decades, if we're lucky, we've got decades left to be, you know, former athletes, but because exactly. you had, you had some eligibility left and you were doing really well in the city league. Um, I thought it made sense and you wanted to get this specialized skill right? Which in your master's program. So I was pumped to hear that you got this position. I'm wondering because, and if I remember correctly, in your high school experience, you also were, you're in this prestigious program with a lot of talent. So you didn't mm -hmm. get a ton of playing time or didn't really get to shine. I don't remember what it, exactly. Uh -huh. Right. And then in, at Regis, you're playing behind Dexter, you're dealing with injuries. So, uh -huh. you, you know, you've got this new opportunity 
what was your mindset like going into this new season where you wanted to really be more of the man, to be a starter, to really show what you could do in a college setting? Definitely. So um, I think the best thing that helped me within this whole process, the second time of playing at the University of St. Francis was the fact that um, I didn't have any real expectations of myself in regards to basketball. Like really, I, I just felt, you know, I need to go in here, work hard, but ultimately I'm trying to set myself up um, academically, you know, and, and try to make something happen, you know, as far as um, my de degree and everything like that. So basketball was just kind of like a pastime, but it also helped, you know, as far as financing my degree. That's yeah. how I was thinking initially going in. So then once I actually got with the team and started, you know, playing and everything, my main focus was just to just work as hard as I can. And from doing that, that ultimately led to me becoming one of the top, I guess you would say, like three options on the team and all of that stuff. And I ultimately was blessed enough to get a second team all conference and all of that stuff, you know, so it was, it was a great experience. But the whole time my mindset was just, just try to work as hard as I can, you know, because I know this pretty much would be like the last time I, I get to go at this. And I lucked up on the, on the all-conference um, honors, you know, so I, I was happy about that. Yeah, it's amazing, man. I'm, I'm so, so happy for you that you had that experience. And, um, Definitely. Great, Thank you. Great statistics. Looks like you guys had success as a team, too. So that was mm -hmm. your basketball happy ending. Now let's talk about the academic and professional one. So talk about what you studied, maybe why uh -huh. you picked that, and then we can move into the opportunity that you just received recently. Definitely. So um, during my time while I was out, uh, which is during that, that gap year that I took off from basketball, from my senior year at Regis to the year that I played at uh, the University of St. Francis. During that time, I pretty much was just trying to figure out which major I could go after that would still suffice the business prerequisites, being that I had got my undergrad in business, you know, so I didn't want to necessarily go to a whole nother, um, you know, type of industry or major or whatnot. So, I stuck with accounting. And the reason that I went with accounting was because I like numbers enough. <laughs> um, and then even beside that, you know, um, I knew that that would give me the stability that I wanted financially and, you know, just job security, all of that stuff, you know, to help me get my life started, um, to ultimately do what I want to do, you know. So with that, um, pretty much some of the inspiration for that really came from one of my former teammates, uh, one of our former teammates, Troy, um, I just, you know, I talked with him and he pretty much, you know, went through the same process as far as being an athlete and coming out and getting into that whole situation and everything. But the main thing that he had told me, you know, was it's, it's very lucrative in this industry and everything. But he was just saying, you know, something that will really help set you up better is if you're able to get an internship you know, while you're in school versus just graduating and then trying to get out and make something happen. Mm -hmm. So from that, um, I kind of had a foot up, I felt, as far as this next time of tackling a uh, major, you know. And so uh, once I went in, you know, I, I went in for my MBA with an accountant concentration. 
So I had to take some prerequisites to even suffice um, the requirements to be able to get my MBA in accounting. So um, I, you know, I'm doing those still act actually now, um, along with some of my MBA courses. So I should be done um, next. What's that? That's, that'll be spring of 2022. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, even besides all of that, um, pretty much what I did once I got to the school was my main focus was to try to figure out how could I get myself in the best position possible to get in front of these bigger CPA firms. So uh, my accountant professor, Professor Doerr, um, she actually was the one that really helped me a lot as far as figuring out, you know, you should go and join the Illinois CPA Society. So I joined the Illinois CPA Society. And then after that, um, there was a minority program that was offered uh, that would put us, you know, um, in front of different, uh, like some of the top firms, I guess you could say, you know, like Deloitte and um, Ernest and Young, Crow, all of the, you know, big names. But anyways, um, I did, you know, all of the requirements for that. Um, I had to do a few essays and uh, some other stuff, transcripts and all that letters of recommendation. But ultimately, I, I was fortunate to be one of the ones that um, was picked for the for the scholarship. So um, it was a scholarship foundation. So for that, for that, um, we had like a two day uh, or three day series where pretty much, you know, we went through all kinds of things like how to better your resume. Um, to make yourself, you know, seem better or appear, you know, more qualified, I guess you would say, uh, for different positions, mm -hmm. um, you know, interview tips and everything. We went through, you know, everything you could go through. And then ultimately they set us up randomly because um, it was only 30 recipients. So they set us up ran randomly um, with these different firms to interview with them. And so it was a great networking experience. Um, ultimately, you know, um, I got to interview with Deloitte, Crow, um, and who else? Uh, and PWC. And from those three, uh, Crow pretty much was the one option that I had got. Um, and Crow actually is a top 10 firm in itself. So they're really prestigious and stuff too. So it just worked out perfect. So I was blessed enough, you know, to get a, a internship opportunity with them. And I'll be doing the intern, the internship. Um, I'll be doing that either virtually or in person in Chicago this summer. So prayerfully it's in person, but, um, yeah, we, either way, I'm, you know, I'm grateful. So amazing, yeah. man. Amazing, man. That's so awesome. And we've talked off Thank air you. about this, but I'm, I'm really happy for you and you should, yeah, I mean, you, it could have, it would have been really easy for you to, sit in that digital marketing job in Denver and smoke pot and whatever, Definitely. like do what so many of us 20 year olds do where or people in our twenties, where we, you know, if you don't really make it happen, it won't really happen. Like the, the economy, exactly. it's not set up. The economy is not set up the way it used to be. Like you talk about, uh, like to my grandparents, my, my grandfather, he, he often brings up the fact that he I think he worked in a butcher shop and a shoe shop and mm -hmm. he, and he was able to pay for his whole schooling and go to graduate school. I think tuition was like 250 bucks a year or something. Oh, wow. And it's not like he didn't work hard and, you know, he, definitely, he, but there were people back 
in the kind of golden age of the American economy after World War II, uh-huh. who a, a man could be a mailman, woman could be a stay-at-home mom, and they could have a house together. <laughs> like that's Definitely. just, I mean, that's that's <laughs> just over. Like it just doesn't happen anymore. So it's not Definitely. as it's not as simple as just follow these stepping stones into your house and picket fence and lovely family. Like, unfortunately, you really have to make plays in order to get yourself set up in the modern economy. And I would like exactly. for that to change. I'm not happy that that's the way it is, but it just, at an individual level, like at a collective level, I'd like to see some of the things change. But at an individual Definitely. level, you really have to fight for your security in the world. And, and for your case, especially from where you grew up, I can imagine that the, the pressure was even more firmly on your shoulders, right? Definitely. Yeah. You know, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, in the podcast, um, I've been a trailblazer for everything for my family. You know, I was the first to go to college, the first to now get my MBA, um, the first to be a, a what is it, a, um, a collegiate athlete, you know, uh, just all that stuff. So with that, you know, um, my main focus just be to continue, you know, Continue, 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 um, and don't stop until I, you know, get ultimately what I want. Um, and so, yeah, you know, that, that's been the main driving force. And then also just to show my family something different. How we mentioned before, you know, that, um, I, I came out and I was just thinking on the, on the mindset of, you know, money, 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 just get money, figure it out. I don't care how I really had to do it, but figure <laughs> it out, you know. Um, and I feel like, you know, that, that was something that really was at the front of my mind. I still, it's still very important to me now, but I kind of understand now it's more so about the things that you do behind the scenes, you know, that'll really put you in those positions to, you know, um, make that happen financially. So yeah, Yeah. definitely. Yeah. You used to talk to me about how this, this has always stuck with me. We got to talk about how, you know, money doesn't by happiness mm-hmm. and you, I think correct me if I'm wrong but I think your quote was I'm already happy and I don't have any money <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so That's I, right. I need, right now my only problem is money so I want to go get it what, exactly what, what do you can you want to elaborate on that concept definitely yeah so um during my time of coming up you know and uh, growing up I mean it, it just kind of was like you know we always really we're a close knit family, like my mom and uh, my aunts and everything, my grandmother, everybody, my cousins. So I said that to say, you know, we, we always were happy and we always made do with what we had, you know. But at the same time, I just noticed at a young age, you know, it was a many a different times I would ask for something or, you know, um, I would want something. I just couldn't get it. And I didn't like that. I didn't like that, that, um, you know, that feeling just like that. I couldn't get it because we didn't have it. It's a difference if I couldn't get it because they're like, you know, you have too many toys or you have this and this. And I, I you know, I, I have my share of everything I wanted, but, um, it definitely, you know, was times. And so just from that alone, that kind of, you know, fueled me to feel like, yeah, you know, I, I have everything else. I have a peace of mind. I, you know, I have, um, I have, like you said, happiness. I'm happy all the time. Like you mentioned, you know, I'm always a happy-go-lucky guy. But, um, yeah, that was the only thing that I noticed that we, we kind of lacked was just money. So it was important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I think 
the whole money doesn't buy happiness thing is is true and people can ruin their lives being mm. obsessed with status and wealth and prestige and all of these different things that aren't really the same thing as love and connection right but definitely but a lack of money and a lack of security can be a huge cause of stress and health issues and so i think there's some definitely. nuance that, there's some nuance involved that yes you know, you can move to a cave in India and be really happy if you meditate all day, but most of us aren't <laughs> uh-huh. going to do that. So most of us do need our, at least, you know, our basic needs met and a little extra to have fun and to get the things we want. Right. Um, exactly. So what, what are you looking forward to, you know, whether these are specific goals or kind of more broad goals, mm-hmm. how do you see the next you know, you want to get an accounting job, I imagine. What are your long-term goals? Are you thinking about family, about, you know, like, um, what, like, how do you see the future for yourself? Definitely. So uh, pretty much, I mean, my main goals are to, um, you know, as far as now, in short term, um, do my best, you know, the best that I can do uh, in this internship and then finish and graduate and uh, get, going on my CPA as fast as I can. Um, but then from there, ultimately, you know, I really don't want to work all my life. You know, I don't want to work as long as most, you know, most of society. So with that being said, I'm a, I'm a very frugal guy. You know, I, I don't, I don't just blow my money a lot. So, um, I, I really look forward to, you know, getting into investing tough into, real estate, but also into, um, franchise and restaurants. Mm. So that's been something that I've really been learning a lot this past year about, um, just trying to get into that industry. Cause I just know, you know, um, everybody could really want to be rich or, you know, whatever you want to be, but it's about having a plan, you know, to make that actually happen and just sticking with the plan. And mm. so it sounds very simple. But if it was really easy, everybody would do it, you know. So obviously, I don't yeah. think, you know, or I don't even expect it to be that easy. But um, just with the desire and stuff, yeah, I, I ultimately want to get into investing and and live the life of my dreams, you know. Ultimately, yeah. you know, before I end up having a family and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, just kind of want to be squared away financially before I pursue, you know, children, all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, you'll be a good dad someday, so I hope, I hope, uh, <laughs> hope you have a family one day. Thank you, thank you. Um, what kind of advice? This is advice. This is a question I ask a lot of podcast guests, but I think it's especially interesting with you. Uh-huh. Based on where you grew up, and then getting to Regis, and how you are, like you said, the first in your family to uh-huh. experience all of these things. I'm curious, like, let's say someone, let's say you were giving advice to your younger self. Uh What kind of things would you tell yourself about sports and or life that you think could have helped you um, along the path? Like, are there things that you changed your mind about since being at Regis and Chicago? Uh Um, I I understand it's a broad question. So if there's anything that comes to mind in that realm, go for it. Definitely. Yeah. So pretty much um, something that I would pretty much tell myself uh, would be first and foremost to, 
um, try to figure out exactly what I wanted to major in. Cause I honestly feel like if I would have became an accountant major, um, in my undergrad time at Regis, I would have been able to just get out and hit the ground running. Now, I also am a firm believer in everything happens for a reason, you know, so I don't regret anything, but yeah, I definitely would have that understanding more down pat. And then the other thing I would probably tell myself, um, which is what I actually really learned at Regis was, uh, really just how to deal with adversity better. I feel like, I feel like because I was like the first, you know, those were the first times that I was dealing with that kind of adversity, you know, sometimes you'll lash out in a, in a, in a horrible way, you know, and you really shouldn't. Um, and you may regret your actions, you know, so, um, from that, I just, yeah, I definitely would, would try to help my younger self deal with adversity better. You know, I feel like that even would have helped as far as, um, this period, my whole path, you know, and then the last thing would be, um, to just try, just try. Like I, I, I suffered a lot now from a more athletic standpoint. Um, I suffered a lot of like thinking, you know, and a lot of basketball players do this. And that's, you know, partly why, um, even with your whole situation of how you got heavy into the meditating and, you know, all of that kind of stuff to kind of just deal with, you know, the mental aspect of the game. Cause most people don't really talk about that or a lot of society don't, mm-hmm. you know? And so I feel like that was kind of like a detriment to my career early on because I, I was, you know, blessed uh physically so i could jump and everything and long arms and stuff but at the same time it would be a lot of times where like i could have easily dunked the ball or something but just because i'm thinking so much i might fumble it off or something you know and so just those little micro battles like what brady used to call them um just those winning those micro battles you know more often than not i feel like would have even set me up in a different position also athletically you know like with a better scholarship and all kinds of stuff. Cause we, we just had too many opportunities in high school being that, you know, I was at a powerhouse. Mm-hmm. We, we would have at every practice, we would have either UCLA, um, Oregon state, Vanderbilt came in, UConn. We had anybody you could think of, mm-hmm. you know, all the pac 12, everybody's coming in, but it's just a fact of like performing, you know, and just trying, like if you miss it, oh, well, but you, you probably gonna make it, <laughs> you know? So I feel like, um, yeah, my in my like younger years, I suffered a lot from that. But this time, once I went to the University of St. Francis, I did a way better job of that. And I actually was really proud of myself because I, you know, I was able to dunk a lot in the games and I was able to, you know, have games where I'm 17, 18 points in the game or, you know, just certain things that everybody would really want to, you know, achieve. I was able to actually do this stuff, but just because I tried. I wasn't scared, you know, to fail. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I I love that. I, I have a chapter in my book that's coming out. So I'm actually not sure when this podcast will be released. Maybe the book's already out. Um, uh-huh. But I write about vulnerability and how that was huge for me as a player, and it's something that I'm still practicing in my life. It's becoming more vulnerable. Yeah, and vulnerability. I didn't really understand the concept until probably, you know, I I didn't even really have a conceptual understanding of it as a senior, 
but I've mm-hmm. only now really started to put the concept together intellectually, which is, yeah, like you said, you, you can spend so much time trying to per- manipulate your experience and protect yourself from failure or embarrassment. But the more Definitely. you, but, but if you do that too much, you don't even give yourself a chance to succeed. Like anything important in life, whether it's, you know, like do a, having an exceptional basketball game or majoring in something that's challenging that will pay off or approaching the girl that you have a crush on, all of that, you're putting yourself on the line for failure and your ego might get hurt. But if you definitely, if you're always protecting, trying to manipulate your circumstances, you'll never get to see what you're capable of, capable of. Right. Yep. Correct. Yeah. So, um, I also wanted to ask you another question you said about adversity. So you said said that you got better at handling adversity. Could you describe the difference between when you were growing up and now about how you view challenges and how you deal with them in a more skillful way than you used to? Yeah, I think the, I think the one distinguishing factor about that um, from when I was younger relative to now is just like when I was younger, I would just react. And I feel like the maturity helped me kind of be able to like take a step back in the heat of the moment for a sec, like a quick split second. And so from there, it'll allow me to tweak my mind and be able to tell myself, you know, um, you, for example, if I had to run three miles and I'm, I'm probably two miles in and I'm ready to just stop. Like when I was younger, I wouldn't even have these mental battles with myself. I would just be like, I don't feel like running no more. Stop, <laughs> you know, but like now I would be like, no, the goal is three, you know, three miles. So I'm constantly within myself, um, battling within my own mind. But at the same time, something that I took from Coach Brady also that he used to mention was, you know, in those times where you're dealing with the adversity, just try to get a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further, you know, at a time. And then before you know it, you'll be where you want to be. Mm-hmm. And so I actually started to, how could you say, I, I started to experience it, you know, and then after that, I started to understand it. And then from there, you know, as I mentioned before, um, just the trial and error, you know, just going through and failing and falling on my face and thinking like, man, this really happened to me. And it's, it's like now I, I realize, you know, it could happen to anybody. It's the fact that are you putting in the work and doing what you need to do, you know? So, yeah, the, the main difference, I would say, from when I was younger and now is just taking a second, you know, and, and realizing if this is what I really want to do, you got to make it happen. And that's just it. You know, mm-hmm. you got to figure out how to make it happen. So, for sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Do you have a daily mental regiment whether that be meditation or prayer what is how does that look like for you in terms of Uh, your uh what you're doing with your faith or with mental training curious if you're up to anything these days on a regiment definitely yeah so every morning i always pray um but then something that my mom used to do um even when i was a little kid and still do now with my younger siblings Anytime we touch the car, like the first time to go wherever we're going, then we pray again. And so it's just like, um, yeah, I feel like those two are like must haves for me during the day. But then besides that, you know, like if I'm really troubled or something that day or I'm really annoyed, you know, or something just is bothering me, 
then I'll, you know, go and pray again. Or I might just um, take myself and I don't know, just go for a ride. I like to go for a drive, you know, a lot of times when my head is kind of troubled and um, yeah, deal with it, you know, my own way. But um, yeah, I definitely pray uh, a lot. Um, and then it just to be random times, I just start praying. Like I might just be driving and just turn the music off, just start praying. If I'm in the car by myself or, you know, whatever, or I might be with somebody and I'm praying under my breath, but they don't know, it. <laughs> you know, yeah. just all kinds of different things, you know, so just kind of like spur of the moment. But for sure, the two that I always make happen is in the morning and, and once I get out to go into the world. OK, so, you know, I, you and I have had our discussions about faith and God and I've uh, we when we met each other, I was pretty adamant atheist uh, i'm starting to, i'm starting to come around i don't have a religion but uh, okay. i'm uh i'm less uh however some people would call it annoying other people would call it you know uh fervent in my anti-belief I'm, i guess more of like an agnostic now but anyway uh -huh. it's, it's another it's another conversation i think but i'm just curious then about your morning prayer in the morning like does it is it before you touch your phone? Are you doing something physically or is it just right when you open your eyes in the morning? How does that look right when you wake up? Yeah. So a lot of the time what I try to do is like once I get up, I've been pretty bad as of lately with this as far as like grabbing my phone as soon as I wake up. Man, that morning scroll is a trap, man. <laughs> yeah. I've, been, I've been keeping my phone in the kitchen so I don't do that in the morning. It's such a trap. Anyway, I, I probably I probably should try that. But um, yes, I mean, you know, like probably right once I get up, go to the bathroom or something, then I'll start praying. Okay. But yeah, that morning scroll, I got to get that out of I got to get that <laughs> out of there. <laughs> it's hard, man. It's hard. Definitely. OK, uh, on another serious note, what's your favorite Dom Kennedy album? Uh, I don't know if this is uh. Let me see. I'll probably say from the West Side with Love Part Two, but I think that's a mixtape. That's but the one I, that's with like the my, with the blue cover and the orange letters. Blue cover and the orange letters. I think. Um, I'm not sure. I know it's the one where like it has like the city drawn out on it. Yeah, on yeah, the, yeah. Uh, from the what was the album called again? From the West Side with love, with love two. part two, uh -huh. yeah, it's it's blue with uh, the letters and there's like an orange skyline. Yeah, yeah. orange tint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say that's probably my favorite by him. Um, period. Um, yeah, dude, he got he got some other ones. The Yellow album was really, really good too. Hmm. I really liked it, but I haven't. You know what's what's crazy is I haven't really been listening to Dom as much lately because he. He kind of been dropping in spurts lately, you know, not really as frequent as he used to. So mm -hmm. as of lately, I've been listening to Larry June, which is. I uh, think you texted uh, me about him. Okay. Yeah. I need to look him up. Is it similar sound or just. Sim like yeah. Him? Yeah. Similar sound, more laid back and everything. Um, but I don't know, man. Larry just, he, he <laughs> I love Larry June. He, he's tight. He from, um, he's from the Bay. He's from uh, San Francisco. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Nice. What do you think about how rap has changed from, so I guess you must be like five years younger than me. 
So uh -huh. when I was growing up, it was like very lyric driven, probably even less so actually than the generation before me. Like one of my older friends, Steve, he's, he grew up with like, like Nas and Pac and, you know, all of these very lyrical rappers. And then I'm in, I'm in the era of like, you know, Eminem, um, and 50 Cent, 50 Cent. Even, uh -huh. But then there's like the club bangers, which I still love. And I don't know if, either, <laughs> if I'm just attached to them or if they're actually shitty. But like I would whenever I'm in like a bar or a club, I just wish they'd be playing like Nelly and 50 and Ludacris on repeat <laughs> because I just feel like there's nothing better than that. So yeah. but then you've got like Cole and Kendrick who were also like when I was in high school, they were starting to pop. And, the, and I'm a huge fan of them, too. And then like Chance the Rapper. Uh -huh. But then all of a sudden. I feel like an old man when like uh, when Future and, and Young Thug and all of these people become famous and then you get like uh, Trippy Red and Gunna and all these crazy sounding artists. And I was, I was very resistant to it at first. And I think it was like, I think it was when I was coaching and you guys would play that shit in the locker room all the time. And I finally was like, okay, I kind of get it. It's more of like an energy thing. It's like yeah. a swag thing. It's less about what they're saying. And exactly. then I and my girlfriend's into that stuff too. She loves the the ASAP Mob like cozy tapes, uh, uh -huh. <laughs> and so I finally got it. I think, and I'm just curious what you think about that transition and where you think hip hop is right now. Like what kind of place it's in? Yeah, um, I think it's more you talking like the mumble rap now. Mm -hmm. um, I think you know it, it, it's it's cool for our generation now, but at the same time. It's not as beneficial. It's actually funny that we talking about this because um, it's like a, a, I guess, a series on Netflix called uh, Hip Hop Evolution. Mm. And so um, I actually was just watching this last night. But uh, pretty much the thing that I just noticed was like, not only were they more lyrical like years ago, but um, also, you know, they would bring like political issues and stuff into you know, into their, their lyrics and all of that kind of making awareness, um, or giving awareness, you know, to awareness, sorry, um, to, you, you know, what's, what's going on in the world presently, you know? And so I feel like now all they really care about is like, you know, how they look, how you say like the status thing and, uh, you know, uh, just the sound It's it's really like driven by the beat now. Like the producers are huge now. Like, you know, back in the day, it was like DJ this and DJ that. So now, like, the producers are the guys. So yeah. it's like, like, Cardo, anything pretty much that he touch, I'm going to like. Me and, <laughs> and Christian, we're going to like it because he pretty much just his style. It's like kind of like a West Coast embodied style, but it's like, I don't know. Like, it, it's hard to describe, but it's just every beat pretty much that he makes is just crazy. Like, we love the beat. And so... That, yeah, I feel like we don't really even pay attention to the lyrics like that anymore. Like, if I'm trying to get lyrical, I like listening to Rick Ross because I have to have a nice beat. And Rick mm -hmm. Ross always have a good beat, but he's always, you know, talking something too. So yeah. I would say all around, he's probably like my favorite. That does both, you know. So what what songs, what would I know from Cardo that he produced? So like, um, Cardo actually produced the Taylor Alderdice for Wiz also okay so i don't know if you ever heard that that uh mixtape um let's see what he produced one 
see a lot of it is like the, the guy Larry June um let's see I don't even think he really like produced anything for Nipsey or or uh, Dom Kennedy yeah it, if you listen to Larry June though then you'll be able to because he's like he was kind of I would say more behind the scenes um when was this this was probably like 2012 2013 up in there that's when taylor alderdice came out and um was that or before, 2011. Was that, was that before cushion orange juice or after <sighs> i think that was after yeah i think that was after but um so from that like then he started to become more known because like before like people knew who he was but, but it was just kind of like, I think he was more behind the scenes back then. But like now he's more like up front, you know, more people actually look his stuff up, you know. Um, yeah. Pierre, Pierre is another good producer. Um, Southside, 808 Mafias is really, they, they, they're taking over the game too. Mm. Um, as far as, that's like a, like a group of producers. It's like three or four of them or something, but yeah, man. I mean, it, Cardo is he, he my favorite though out of all of those. He's my favorite. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't mean to diminish the the trap rap stuff. Like, I remember when Christian was showing me Uzi, and it finally yeah. clicked for me. Like that Love Is Rage two album uh -huh. really is like a work <laughs> of art. That's got like you it almost it's like it's like trap drums with like the energy of Nirvana. <laughs> it's like uh -huh. so, so fucking sick. So like, yeah. I feel like there's stuff like that, but then I listen to like Lil Yachty and I'm really just kind of ironically listening to it. It's so dumb. Like it's fun <laughs> and it's, but the stuff he's saying, it's just like, I can't even handle how dumb it is. So yeah. it's like, there's a, there's a balance. But then like, I definitely, even though I've come to like trap rap, I would still defend and like a Kendrick Lamar album as being like a masterpiece definitely. where it's so like the message is transcendent and he's touching on all of these complex topics and he's going in and out of different flows and alter egos and the beats are crazy. And so like, definitely. Yeah, I mean, that's, he's probably you know, him and Cole are my favorite artists in general. So, um, you know, but wow. um, <laughs> yeah, it's just interesting how, and then you've got people like little pump who are like kind of just pimping the sound to get on the radio and be kind of annoying. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I respect guys like um, Kendrick and J. Cole, you know, um, but yeah, it's just kind of like, I don't know. I don't really listen to their kind of music. Right. Like, I respect it, though. I don't think that it's weak or anything, but it's just like, I, like I mentioned before, like I always look for a beat that's just gonna, you know, like take my ear. It's got to take my ear, the beat first. If the beat is not taking my ear, I can't really... <laughs> like i can't really get with it you know yeah i remember yeah. in the locker room the one year we played together you were a red shirt and <laughs> somebody would have the ox and all like within 10 minutes it would always be on some socal like dom shit it was like <laughs> you guys just couldn't handle it <laughs> you couldn't handle the other yeah. stuff but definitely we liked that too so it worked out Perfect. so uh good man well i think that's all i got um really a pleasure to get you on the podcast and so happy Thank you. that this last year worked out so well for you, man. Like, uh, it's amazing. Your, your final basketball season being so great and getting this internship and yeah, to, if I keep doing this podcast, I'll have to have you back on, um, 
maybe like once you've gotten an established accounting job and you're Definitely. pursuing other yeah. things. So yeah, it's always a pleasure talking to you, man. Man, likewise, man. I, I definitely appreciate you allowing me to get on the platform. And man, I, I had a bowl. I appreciate it. Awesome. Definitely. All right, man. Well, uh, I'll link to your socials in the in the, in the show notes here so, so people can find you. <laughs> Perfect. And, uh, yeah, appreciate it, man. Take care. Likewise. All right. Bye-bye. All right. like to support me and the show one of the best ways to do that is just to simply share it with someone who you think might like it you can also leave a review on apple podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this the best way to stay in contact with me and my work is through my newsletter which you can find at billyhansonnet forward slash newsletter and my new book harder than i thought easier than i feared is now available for pre-order and you can find that at billyhansonnet forward slash book and get links to Amazon and Barnes & Noble and other online stores. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time. It's the sauce.